It was a beautiful experience. I had never had anything that um, dramatic happen. But after that day, I would say nothing was ever quite the same for me. I had shifted into a whole different state of reference where suddenly that quality of being was where I was based and the content of my ego, my body, the events of the day were all a part of that. But the being was the strongest anchor. And I want to say that was what? 23 years ago now, and I've been integrating that ever since. This is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel, and I'm Julie Clare. As a transformational life coach and creativity guide, my life's work is helping people reshape their lives from the inside out. Here, I have deep dive conversations with luminaries who share about their own transformational journeys and how they became soul-sourced and creatively juiced. May their stories uplift and embolden all of us. Let's jump in. My guest today is Kathy Black. In 1998, Kathy Black was living in Taos, New Mexico as a massage therapist and suddenly found herself on a transformational journey that included a spiritual awakening experience that took her to the East and West Coast and eventually back to Taos 12 years later. Kathy beautifully speaks to the magic and power of synchronicities, serendipities, intuition. Kathy now offers programs, retreats, and meditations through the Lumos Center that support a deeper awakening of embodied presence for individuals and groups. I've known Kathy for many years and have been uplifted in so many different ways just knowing her, seriously. And over the last couple of years, I have thoroughly enjoyed energetically partnering with her in my work as a transformational coach as she creates new ways of bringing her spiritual offerings into the world. Welcome in, Kathy. Thank you, Julie. It's a pleasure to be here. You're welcome. I'm so glad we finally get to sit down and have our conversation like this. Uh Me too. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about what it looked like for you, what it's looked like for you in different parts of your life to really, quote, trust the river, Uh quote. I know we have, you and I have talked about this, but and to st- and and the role your awakening experience has had on you and this trust what that's looked like. So, if you could just start with introducing us to who you are and maybe who you were before the awakening, where you were, that kind of thing. Just help us situate meeting you here. Well, like you said, in 1998, I was living in Taos. Um, I had a massage practice. I was the director of a small massage school. Um, I loved my life. I was in the middle of creating my master's degree program in writing. And over a short period of time just before that, I started having more kind of altered state experiences in my meditations. I don't know quite what made that begin, um, but it did. So because I had always been... Uh, involved with intuitive massage and meditation, I was able to follow it and trust it. And the more I did that, the stronger it got. Uh, Sometimes I would go up to my office in the massage school and have to close my door and tell my assistant, don't let anyone in. I just have to stay with this meditation process. And then um, 
I would come out and be fine for a little while. But over time, that got more and more intense, and I had to make some decisions. So I hired someone to take on my position, and I decided to go on a pilgrimage. And that was really a a trust walk, because I didn't know exactly where I was going to go or what I would do or what was really guiding me. I just knew that the process I was in was very strong and trustworthy. And the reason I felt that was that I would have these meditations and then things would emerge in my physical world that would um, validate that. So over time, I ended up on the main coast. Um, I had a lot of free time to work with these states of consciousness. Kathy, I'm going to interrupt you. How old were you around now? I was point? I was 38. Yeah. And um, I was really lucky that I had some support and resources to be able to let me go do this. And I ostensibly was going to be working on my master's thesis. Um, and I did do some writing, but I wasn't actually able to focus on it completely because I kept going into these altered states. I didn't really have a teacher exactly, so I had to uh, rely on friends and some teachers that I'd had in the past um, to help me through it. But most of it was me taking time to just listen to the process that was happening in me and follow the sensations in my body. Um, I think I had a pretty slow-moving uh, kundalini process, and some people will know what that is, but it's a way the energy moves through the body and through the energy fields and through the consciousness to help one know that unity of all life. And that is exactly what happened. Um, in the next year, in February, I had a very strong meditation, which left me in a pretty strong state of bliss. It was actually on Valentine's Day. It was a very beautiful day to be walking on the beach. Um, Ooh, a Valentine's Day, 1999. 99, yeah. I was 39. Oh, I was going to be 39 a few weeks after that. Yeah. And um, it was a beautiful experience. I had never had anything that... Um, dramatic happen. And after that, everything changed. I mean, before that, I could I could have told you little bits and pieces of what the process was that was happening. I wrote my journals, lots of details about it. But after that day, I would say nothing was ever quite the same for me. I had shifted into a whole different state of reference where suddenly... That quality of being was where I was based, and the content of my ego, my body, the events of the day were all a part of that, but the being was the strongest anchor. And I want to say that was, what, 23 years ago now, and I have been integrating that ever since, and I think probably I will continue to integrate it for the rest of my life. I don't want people to think that like, oh, well, now you're done. You've had this awakening and it's done, because that's not true for me. I think I wanted to come and uh, experience it within the world again, um, in relationship and in family, in career, 
whatever it was that was going to happen, but it had to be based from this new reference point. I hear it now to me, it's you're just speaking so beautifully about how I think of what I think of as transformation. And and you just said it like there was a a very big shift of energies and things were different. There's a before and after. Right. right? Mm -hmm. What I want to know is how how much you had already been uh, meditating, you were in the massage uh, world and how much did you challenge or fight what was happening or how, how much were you able to, at that point, let go? And I mean, I heard you completely pick up and move to Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big, was it, was it hard or you, did you have a lot of crying moments of what am I doing? Or <laughs> was it pretty clear? Cause a lot of us fight it. Right? <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying we have awakening experiences, but I mean, there, what does that look like? What did that look like for you? It was a combination of all of that. Um, I really trusted what was happening, but the upheaval and the uh, dissolution of everything I had known and was familiar with, that was so out of my control. And I think that's the big thing about transformation is that at some point we have to let go of that control um, of what's happening and try and, and trust it. It doesn't mean that I was comfortable the whole time. In fact, there were some times I was like, oh, please, I just want a home again. I just want a relationship again. I just want to be uh, stable again. Because the feeling was like being a little bit in quicksand. You know, I never knew exactly which way things were going to go and was I going to be okay. Um, There was a period of time after that that I basically drove around the East Coast in my car and Sometimes I didn't even know where I was going to be that night. But it always worked out, I have to say. I never felt that I was without support. You know, that warm, fuzzy creature of the human body was not always comfortable with that. But after a while, I started to learn that something would happen. Something was going to happen that was okay. And it was really teaching me how to follow the subtle energies that were underneath Um, the forms. So, for example, when I ended up at a Buddhist temple off of the Potomac, um, I met these people and uh, saw their teacher, and I I could feel this, like, aliveness there and this consciousness that was there. I'm not a Buddhist, but it was there, too. And I just kept being guided all around to these different places and people, meeting people. I had what I called the diner ministry. So I'd go to those little diners on the East Coast and sit down at the bar and at the counter and have a piece of pie. And someone would always sit down next to me and I'd have these phenomenal conversations, just beautiful understandings about people and their lives. And we would share and... um just that serendipity that would happen between me and other people or where I ended up that night or friends that I got to see I hadn't seen in years. It was a beautiful journey. And the once- diner ministry. <laughs> I love that. I love that name. Does that mean you'd be sitting with your pie and literally somebody would sit next to you? And as you know, maybe some of us experienced on a bus or at a train uh-huh. station, you end up in these conversations, but right. For you, it it was a ministry. Is that because there was a coming together in a sort of way? Or what was the baseline experience there? I think it's that also I was 
in this, again, in this altered state. I was in very yeah. expanded, very, very expanded. Like I sensed things and felt things and felt a tremendous amount of love just as I walked around and this connection to the world and to people and animals and nature. And as I, the ministry was just kind of a, a word I picked up for myself because I would sit there and inevitably I would hear people's life stories. I mean, I don't know what made them want to open up to me at, at that moment, except that I was very expanded and I think I was kind of emanating a lot of love. And people's stories were so moving to me. So that's why I called it the diner ministry. Mm. Were you writing any of these conversations down or were you pretty much staying in the moment and not trying to record things? Both. Uh, I wrote some of them down and yeah. I... Um, didn't others? Yeah, I did. That's what I'm working so you, on right now. Yeah, I'm writing. Uh-huh. I'm writing. We're going to get to that. You're right. <laughs> but wait, so there you are. You're traveling around the country, really, right? Not even just the East Coast. I think, didn't you make it? Where Where did your travels take you at this point? Yeah, I, I, um, I was on the East Coast and then Due to a lot of circumstances, I um, ended up finding my blue van, which I had dreamed about like nine months before. I had this amazing dream, and I found the van many months later, and I knew I needed to go to California. I needed to go to the Redwoods. So like I said, sometimes things were like calling to me, and I felt like this pull. I needed to go to the Redwoods. So I drove to the coast. Um, and along the way, all these things from the dream actually emerged in the landscape and in the people. It was um, very beautiful uh, synchronicity. And that kind of gave me courage. So I would say that these synchronicities gave me courage to keep going. Um, I ended up on the West Coast then. And it, again, I was just following my intuition. It's like these little trail of, of subtle feelings or uh people or events. And I ended up meeting my husband, my future husband. And every time I tried to leave the area uh, where I had just met him, I tried to leave and go driving around again. I was so happy being in my van driving around now, comfortable not having a home. But every time I tried to get away, the... uh, like they closed the I-10 on me in Los Angeles on a Friday. You don't know what that's like to be trapped with 10,000 cars. <laughs> it was horrible. And I thought, I'm going the wrong way. I am just going the wrong way. And I knew I had to turn around and go back. So things like that wow. were very interesting to me, like how the environment would cooperate or <laughs> or try and help me to make my decisions to uh take me on a road that was more in alignment with not my ego and my fears, but with my essential self that had been born. You beautifully share the power of synchronicities um, and things showing up like this in the moment, um, how they're not just add-ons, but, and I love how you coupled courage with that, how that helped build your courage. I, I just, I melt when I hear you talk about this, the when you were on the West Coast, is that did you come into uh, being with the teacher at that point? I'm trying to remember what happened to you on the West Coast. Um, no, I met Keith, and then after a few months, we decided it was um, time to go on the road. So we actually both went traveling then, 
and we were looking for a new place to settle. Um, and eventually we ended up in Oregon and uh, decided to get married and settle down. And uh, within, I swear, within three days, we were married. All of our belongings had arrived by U-Haul, and we found our home to buy the next day. I mean, this was in three days. My, all of a sudden, I was no longer a wandering sadhu. Um, I was a housewife in Ashland, Oregon. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it was a very different uh, feeling and take on how to bring that aliveness of the intuitive life, the um, those honoring those synchronicities and serendipities that are so easy to follow when one is traveling, how to bring that into a daily life. And, and, and would you, how was your experience about this kind of dissolving at that point? Where were you in your awakening process at that point? Well, I would say I was in an integration phase more than a dissolving at that point. The yeah. dissolving... And I, I wrote a whole section of this in my thesis about transformation. Like I have seven cycles of energy that were very clear to me. Let, then they would repeat, not necessarily linear order, but like the dissolving phase happened when I, as I was leaving Taos. And it wasn't just my physical environment that was changing. It was also my internal landscape was completely dissolving. Who I thought I was, who I thought I was supposed to be, this solid physical human being, none of that was staying um, present. So the dissolve took years. I would say I was dissolving a very long time. And by the time I got into this uh, new life in Oregon, I was in the integration phase where I was trying to say, okay, can I feel that oneness, that same love and oneness in this situation as I did on the beach that day? And of course, it's different because I was in a very altered state at that point, but the reality and the truth of that experience is still with me. And that stillness that I was able to come into, that being and that presence, that's there. The question is, can I experience it in all these other phenomena and ways of being in life? What were your biggest challenges? Did you have challenges at that point or was the integration pretty... Um, gentle and seamless. <clears throat> I think some things were more seamless than others. Um, it's a very thorough process because um, I always used to say, well, no stone unturned for this girl. <laughs> um, wherever I have a fear, wherever I've had um, a thinking that, oh, no, that's not, that's not good or that's not me or... Um, anything like that, that gets exposed and I have to face that and say, oh no, wait a minute. Can I feel that being here? Oh yeah, I can. The big, you know, I have big challenges around violence and cruelty, the, you know, the uh, lack of consideration for uh, the earth. I have all that in me, you know, I'm not this perfect being. So I have to face all of that in myself and in the world and bring this knowing about that that incredibly perfect, beautiful, loving light that we are created from, that I experienced directly. So how do I reconcile that with the these other phenomena that we all witness in the world? And so that is the big integration process that I, I think I'm still in. How did you, what brought you from Ashland, Oregon to, I know you're back in Taos, 
Mm. been back for a while. What, what was that like coming back to Taos? <laughs> when I left Taos, I said, I don't think I'm ever coming back to New Mexico to live again. And I was so wrong. Um, what brought me back was that the massage school I had been a part of, I taught there um, at the Share Institute. I had been the director of the branch here in Taos. That school came up for sale. And in 2007, um, we bought it. And the reason we bought it, even though it was a really crazy thing to do because we were in Oregon and <clears throat> how are we going to do this, um, was because the reason why we did it was because as soon as I heard it was for sale, I felt like someone had just plugged me into a light socket and I was, I had so much energy. And every day I was like, oh my gosh, I think we have to do this. I think we have to do this. So there was this like energy rush in me. And I knew that that was part of, again, my intuition saying, don't worry, it'll be okay. Um, take the next step and see what happens. And literally within five days, we had bought it. <laughs> so um, it was a really, um, again, not a logical choice, but because it was so intuitively grounded in me, I, I just trusted it. And, and you had experience. Amazing. I mean, you knew it. I mean, and you had this resonance, you had this, this knowing. And so then within five days, you yes. now have bought this massage school. Then did you hightail it out of there? What, what was it like to come back? No, we did it very gradually because our director had been there for so long and she and I were such good friends. I trusted her. That's another reason I felt we could do it. Um, I, we, we would come back and forth. So we would get in the blue van with our two greyhounds and drive across <laughs> down to, to New Mexico and stay for a little while, a month or two, and then go back up and work in Ashland and then come back. And it just got to be where our times in Santa Fe, we wanted to be there longer than we did in Ashland. So we eventually moved to Santa Fe for a few years. And then once we had move through that process of the school, getting it back on its feet and kind of strengthening it and us also becoming more a part of it, we decided um, that, that you know, we'd done a great job, but I was also looking for a little more um, energetic resonance. <laughs> I always felt that I worked in Santa Fe, but it really wasn't where my home was. And again, more serendipity, things just started happening. It's like feeling a wave come up under me and I'm like catching a wave of, of something's going to happen. And so I catch that wave. And sure enough, that's when we found our home here in Taos. Um, and I'd said, if I'm going back to New Mexico, I need some grass, I need some water and I need some trees, please. And miraculously, <laughs> we have that. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so there you were, and then you found a place in Taos. So this brings us, um, what, where about are we in the years? This is 2000. Well, that was 2012, 10 years ago. 2000. Wow. We moved here to, the, to Taos. And, you know, I know I said I was in, in the integration, and I think that's true. But I'm also out of the integration phase, starting to come into more of a, um, a fullness and a sense of... Uh, expansion and expression. So maybe coming in more into expression. And um, that's, that's new. That's really new. And that's what you and I have been talking about and working with. Mm -hmm. um, the drawing I did the other day um, of a river 
where the river was very turbulent on the surface, but there's this underlying current underneath it that's very smooth. That was so helpful to me because I realized that I can live in that smooth current, but I need to know that I can also um, surf the rapids in this turbulent time that we're in. You know, I can't just wait for it to be smooth for me to come out <laughs> and share. So it was so fun to think, oh my gosh, I think I can, I might be able to surf these uh, these bigger waves now or ride these bigger rapids. And in doing that, I feel I'm starting to bring forth more of what I learned all these years um, from that awakening I had to the, the altered states into the forms through my intuition and now into a bigger expression and connecting with people. I, I want to ask you about that bigger expression. I, I'd really like to go there with you. I want to take a quick side point here, not side point, really respond to you when you said you're drawing where you drew the river. Mm. Um, I just noticed for me the power when I see something and it, it really strikes me how different it lives in me than an idea or an awareness, even that when I see it, I'm just curious, how, what is that like for you to actually have an image to have be part of the journey? What's the gift of that for you? Well, it's very anchoring for me. And I love thinking in metaphors. That's always been very easy for me. I'm not a visual artist or painter by a long shot. So my drawings are uh, for me to learn from as a metaphor and an expression of energy. So it's very anchoring and grounding for me to see that image, to understand what my subconscious was trying to show me through the drawing. Uh, so it's revelatory that way. Um, yeah. And so here we are, the river, right? And then it's like, oh my goodness, turbulent, smooth, turbulent. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I hear you kind of saying, I think I was born for these times. You know, that saying, that sentence, I, I hear it embedded in this a little bit, that <laughs> here you go and that you're launching in a way. What is that bigger expression? How is it different from you? You had pretty big um, positions of, responsibility or authority or leadership with owning the massage school, teaching mm -hmm. at the massage school, developing some intuitive massage programs. I know what, what is this bigger expression you feel calling you out right now? I'm ready to kind of strip away any kind of form that I've been familiar with really. And just stay with people and sit with people and explore what's it like in a, say, a retreat format um, to sit with our natural spirit, our natural self, explore what it, that feels like, and then also look at, well, what stops that? What, what do we need? Um, how do we nourish and nurture the parts of us that are wanting to unfold and wanting to come out from this place of organic consciousness and energy. So I'm kind of stripping away some of the, um, the form. I was always really good at bringing all of this in through a massage program or an energy work teaching program, but it always had that emphasis on the, the teaching um, so now I'm wanting to explore what is it like just to follow that energy and that intuition through a day with people in retreat. I'm doing what's that. It, mm -hmm. what, what's it like for you energetically to know this is your, this is where you are right now? Is it, 
<laughs> is it also bringing you energy? Does it bring you, oh my God, what am I doing? I mean, I know you have this relationship to peace and calm right there. So, you know, but I'm just curious, what is it like for you to be in this place? Stripping away some of the forms. Uh-huh. Well, I guess the best way I could answer that is to say that I'm, I've been so familiar with holding space for people. And I know a lot of teachers and guides know what that means. That means just that. I'm like supporting the crucible of support for people to have their experiences in. So uh, that's part of it. But the other part is also sharing verbally or in action the things that I know to be true for me. It may not be true for someone else, but I'm willing to come out and share this and say, this is what's happened for me, or this is what I see happening, and just let it through without trying to couch it in some kind of uh, perfect image or <laughs> or a, a form that, that people might understand. That's been one of my big things is trying to realize I don't have to interpret everything for people. I need to just be an, out here sharing who I am and what I have learned and then see where we go. What happens there when you work with people on that or what shows up for you right now? Now that you're, you know, you're leading these retreats, you got, um, you do meditations, you know, you do these great meditations every Monday evening, and those are available for people as a free offering are really beautiful. You've got, I know what these mini retreats once a month, these shorter retreats online or in person, depending, um, and, and all kinds of things planned. And you did a big class last year. I mean, what's it like for you to stand in there and speak about your journey and intuition? What do you, what do you notice happening for people? Well, for me, it's very freeing. And as I do it, I'm starting to see how it's that, uh, that pathway is opening up. So I speak about something and all this energy comes, literally, I feel energized. Um, also, people start showing up that I haven't connected with in a while or opportunities start to unfold a little bit more or I'll even just have another idea. I have so many inspirations for what I want to do. I'm almost overwhelmed. <laughs> like I'm not sure what to do first. So I have to listen to the moment, you know, and just see like, okay, I'm just going to follow what the feedback is from people and what people need and what's in the environment and um, just keep following my intuition in terms of what I present when. Um, almost always there's some deeper intelligence operating in me and through me that has this beautiful architecture to what they're put, uh, putting forth through what I'm offering. Um, it's almost like I say, I, wow, I could never have come up with that if I'd tried to pre-plan it. But as I sit with people in a group or when I sit down to lead the Monday night meditation, I never know what I'm going to say. I wait and I just listen. Um, I speak what what comes to me. And if I do that, then I get to watch the whole process unfold as well. So spontaneity, I hear. Very. Spontaneous. <laughs> Very spontaneous. How spontaneous it, it do you get to me be? some, I have to say. <laughs> How to, um, it depends on the setting, you know, like if I've set it up to... Um, like a, a 30-minute meditation, that's very spontaneous. Um, these retreats, I'm offering a one-day retreat. Um, there'll be some structure there, but mostly spontaneity, because that's where the aliveness is for me. That is where... 
that energy of source meets the moment. And that is one of the things I love to do the most and to trust it. And I think because I do trust it, I can help other people trust it. We can all go through that process together. We can face the places that are a little more nervous or afraid of that or, well, what will happen if we do that? I don't mind those kind of doubts coming in, but I'm very good at listening to the moment and taking us through into the next steps. So trust, right? A lot of trust. A lot of trust. Um, do you see people, you know, when they're um, at the meditations or the retreats or what you're offering, do you, do you feel like people are hungry for this trust? Like they're close to it, but they just need a little help? Or do you think it's a, is it, what's your experience there with people oh, um, showing up? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and not just like blind trust, but starting to come into that sense of a connected trust. So I'm connected to something. That's why I might feel a little more trusting or I can start to follow these um, nuggets of sensation or uh, serendipity and they start to show up. So I can trust them. Um, I think right now because of COVID, if I could reach more people, I would love to, because I think that's what we need right now, because our typical structures and things we've been relying on are not as available or they're even completely disappeared. And also that people are struggling or suffering, not just with physical illness, but also financially or with social issues in their families, childcare. There is so much out there going on right now. So, if if anything I can share with people about, okay, let's just slow down here. Let's be present in this moment. Take some deep breaths. Let's go deeper. Feel our where we're connected. And then let's look at these other things. Let's see what wants to unfold next. How can we put all of that in a basket, all of those things we're struggling with and working with, put it in this big basket and say, okay, show me. And that's the way my intuition has to work. I have to get so surrendered and vulnerable and say, oh, show me. What's the next step? Show me. And the problem is you got to go with what comes. You can't just, oh, well, no, I don't want that. That's not going to work. <laughs> we take the show me, the answer to show me. and you got to give it a try. You just have to give it a shot and see what happens. My goodness. Do you, can you give us an example of some things recently that you've actually said yes to, and you still don't know what it's about? Hmm. I'm thinking of your, the, um, I'm wondering about your studio space. Um, <laughs> yeah. We bought that six or seven years ago, almost now on a, vision I had and I had no intention of buying a building and I was meditating and that one room it's a very large open space for movement at the time it just came floating right into my head I'd only been there once in all the years I lived in Taos and I was like well that's bizarre so all these things started happening after that that made it seem like, well, this this actually could work. So we bought it and we rented it out to a lot of people at the time. I wasn't quite ready to come in with my own work. And then uh, COVID happened and we had to shut it down 
from renting it out to movement and things like that. It just wasn't safe, and I still don't think it is. But also, in the meantime, I started seeing the potential for what could I do there. So we've been retooling it a bit and making it to more of a, uh, a retreat center. So there's still room for movement and dance for people, but it's going to be held in this context of um, spiritual retreat, connection, um, and we'll see. We Maybe we'll go back to renting it out as well. But at this moment, it's just going to be focused for Lumos Center and what I want to present there. So Lumos Center, let's name it. You've got a center that, how can you describe Lumos Center? Because this is kind of the structure that holds your offerings, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody's a Harry Potter fan out there, but I am. And one of the movies moved just, I was so touched by that one scene after Professor Dumbledore dies and they were all standing there with their little wands and they put them up in the air and they used the spell for lighting the wand, Lumos. And together, all of their light dispels the dark mark. But it takes all of them, all of them lighting their own light and sharing it. And that's where I kind of got inspired to name this Lumos Center because I think it takes all of us and any one of us that can come and share and connect is a good thing. So that's where that came from. And also in Esperanza, the uh, the language, the universal language, Lumos means to shine. Mm. So our building is called Tao Sattva. Um, it's kind of a play on lots of words, the Tao, Taos, and Sattva. And um, that's where we're going to to host these when we can meet in person again. In the meantime, I am a, a lover of Zoom. I can do it on Zoom because the energy doesn't really get uh, stuck. It's it's fine going through the internet or into the ethers and traveling around. But um, it is so lovely to get to meet in person when we can. And sometimes on this... Um, I have these little mini retreats on Saturday mornings for two hours, and I guide three different meditations. So I sometimes have people in the building with me, and then the rest are on Zoom. But we can have like four people in there, so right now. Can you tell? Walk us through a mini. Walk us through one of these mini retreats. It's quite delightful. Okay, it's a two-hour Zoom meeting, except for the people who do come. We mm-hmm. have a hybrid arrangement. So we have a big TV screen and a computer that, so the people in the room see the people on Zoom and the Zoom right. people see them. I'm uh, on my own computer. And so we start at 1030. I guide a half an hour meditation and then everybody has 15 minutes to integrate. So they can lie down, they can walk, have a cup of tea, whatever they need to do. And then we come back 15 minutes later and I guide another half hour and then we have a 15 minute break and then I guide another half hour and my guidance is very um spare like I don't tend to like speak through the whole meditation I leave a lot of space for people to have their own experience um there's almost always a little um theme or there's an energy pattern that I'm following or a quality like compassion or gratitude or something like that. But I'm almost always following energy when I guide a meditation. So I'll kind of give it a little bit of oomph in the beginning and then 
usually a lot of quiet for the next 15, 20 minutes, and then I'll um, have some closure. It's beautiful. You know, when I hear you speak, I, I hear the value of space in, mm-hmm. and I know the value of space in mm-hmm. all your offerings. And I'm drawn to the amount of space you had in your own, and you continue to have, I'm thinking, but in your own experience of awakening and taking time away from, you know, leaving your full life in Taos with all the responsibilities and tasks and everything and going to Maine. Um, and it sounds like it was very spacious. We didn't talk a lot about that, but what's the role of space for you? It mm-hmm. feels like I know you're very encouraging of people to being able to take the time and space for themselves to connect. I, I know that about you. What is it about space that's so valuable? And what do you mean by space? That's a good question. <laughs> well, there's an inner spaciousness that doesn't have anything to do with my physical body or the physical world. It's like that space that is within everything and holds everything. And then there's the human time and space where you need to literally carve out time and space to be present with yourself or to draw or write or create. It's like that being your own best friend time and that time for really caring for yourself or loving yourself, that kind of care um, and that kind of space. I think that's part of a spiritual path. I am not an ascetic. I am not one who can do uh, discipline without listening to myself. I need to also still be listening to the rightness for something, to the uh, integrity with the larger energy movement that I'm in. Um, so that that's also a kind of spaciousness where you're given that permission to listen, to follow freely what feels true to yourself. And I want to just say, I think that can take a lot of time, you know, for us to really trust what feels true to us. It's not the most common thing most people grew up with, at least I didn't, but it's a real art and skill to know how to do that and to be able to do that. And that's one thing that I love to support people with. What do you have a sense? Do you get glimmers of what might be possible if more of us could be experiencing that space within ourselves, that self-care, but also that <laughs> uh, room to take time to connect before, you know, um, going straight to doing? Yeah. I think more of our doing would be informed by this level of connected being, which to me then would mean that we are in harmony with a greater wisdom of forces and consciousnesses that we may not have access to all the time, but we, you know, start to feel a part of that. For example, the earth is a big, the earth rhythms, the organic processes that the earth goes through. Um, Maybe we would trust our own inner process and organic nature as well. Yeah, I think it would be, let's say we had a group of 12 people, and we were all doing that together. What it would mean is that the structure of how we came together and what we did during that day would be determined by that authentic integrity within each of us. So it might be one person 
they might sit still the whole day and then at the end of the day jump up and say something or I'm just making this up, but there would be this kind of harmony between all of the people and the actions that happen. There wouldn't necessarily be a hierarchy of leader and group member. Um, leaders can pop up at any moment in any uh, group setting. And um, when you're able to listen to that deep inner place, then we have this like deeper structure, deeper intelligence that we're all starting to plug into which then we get to watch it happen throughout the day with it, with all, within all these people as it happens. I don't know if I explained that very well. It's a you very did. organic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like and, an and ecosystem I, establishes itself. We, be, we become one body. And, and we used to do this when I would have my healing groups. We'd have one person on the table and maybe six or seven of us working energetically around the, the person. And I would see how... Each of us, in our alignment and connection, we would do different things at different times with this person. And it was like a dance. It was beautiful. It wasn't choreographed beforehand. It was like this energy that choreographed it based on us wanting for the highest good for that person on the table. I hear it. And I have to tell you, even just listening to you speak about that and what's possible when we're together in this um, uh not regular business as usual way, but really giving, really giving people space for their own process to show up as they want and including, you know, where they might be moved, how they might be moved in this kind of group um, energetic. I, I, I hear it because I know also your work, but what I wanted to speak to, and I, we're coming to a close here for the interview, but what is it about love here, Kathy, that exudes everything? Because when I'm around you, um, there is this energy of love. It's very hard for me to be hard on myself. And I see that with other people. Do you have, for me, the first thing that comes up is Mother Mary energy or this kind of mother energy, not in terms of mothering me, but caring for me so intrinsically and um, essentially. Do you have a relationship to any of these archetypes like Mary or <laughs> Tara? Or... I, um, I call what I would say my own cosmology is, is that it's the path of the Divine Mother. So, yes. That's what I experience with you. <laughs> to listen to your voice in the meditations, to be in your presence in the retreats, uh, for me, I welcome the spontaneity because there is also this consistency of energy that um, I'm immersed in when I'm with you and others. So, I just want to thank you for, for bringing it more to the world and not just going into a cave that you feel called to come ever more and bring it um, ever more into the world. And we're going to um, put the links for Lumo Center uh, in with this podcast and any other links that um, you've got. Um, I want to thank you for jumping in with me like this. It's very exciting to hear and be part of this experience with you. I am so grateful, Julie. Thank you. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to invite you to check out my Creativity and Spirit Online Retreats. Experience for yourself the breakthroughs and support available when you engage your creative self in a safe and playful community. Begin here if you are ready to ignite your own transformational journey in a joyful way. You can also learn more about my one-on-one -on -one coaching offerings on my website, Paint Big, Live Big, dot com.